0: Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, where today we will count down the top 10 shareholder activists of 2020 alongside our dedicated team of journalists. Earlier this month, we released the Activist Investing Annual Review 2021 in association with Schulte, Roth, and Zabel, which features a detailed look at the top 10. You can hear our editor-in-chief, Josh Black, Discuss the whole annual review at length in the previous episode. I'm Kieran Paul and for this episode, as well as Josh, I am joined by Jason Booth, John Reaton, Sayah Devlin and Yuri Struter. Together we are going to count down that top 10. So let's start with number 10, the UK based asset value investors with Jason.
1: Last year, they had a great success by demanding change at SoftBank Group, and it's a huge company. It's one of the largest, or maybe the largest, on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Under pressure from activists such as AVI, they uh, agreed to sell some assets and buy back shares. And since then, AVI at least has had a uh, follow-up return of 134%, and because of that, their overall activist investments in Japan, around 55% for last year. It's an impressive uh, result for a foreign fund, particularly in Japan, where interfacing with management and having a good relationship is very important. Their chief investment officer, Joe Burenfreude, has attributed that to the 20 years they've spent operating in Japan and the fact that they have a well-established team of professionals in the country who interface with the management on a regular basis. Traditionally in person, but uh, more recently on Zoom. But the relationships remain and they expect to do well over the next few years as the corporate governance changes taking place in Japan continue to have a beneficial effect on the way companies react or share their activism in that country.
0: Number nine is CIVIAN Capital, headquartered in Sweden. Yuri
2: joins us now. For Savian, the year was pretty run of the mill. They continued their behind-the-scenes engagements with their targets, gained some board seats at some companies. But the biggest development in their uh, portfolio was the investment in British education company Pearson. Uh, Savian backed the appointment of star CEO Andy Byrd, formerly chairman of Disney International. Some shareholders rebelled against Byrd's high executive compensation plan, but Sivian backed him.
0: Number eight is Third Point Partners with John.
2: I think the biggest
3: thing was that Third Point changed their onus from M&A demands like they did in 2019. Instead, considering the volatility of the market, they actually focused more on operational changes. So for Third Point, the biggest campaigns we saw this year were really Disney. And towards the end of the year, they also focused on Intel. Both these investments really kind of focused on those more resilient stocks in the tech sector as well. They pushed Disney to kind of push more money into their streaming service, and they're looking for cost gang measures at Intel. So it really kind of feeds into that wider trend we're seeing. Those different investments played a huge part in Third Point actually having a really good year. They returned around 23% by the end of the year, recovering from like a June low of around negative 6% returns.
0: Number seven is Oasis Management, which is based in Hong Kong. Jason.
1: Oasis had a great win early in the year with Sun Corporation, who they targeted calling for change and looking for five seats on the board. And they were successful uh, in a proxy vote in April and has generated a follower return of over 40%, which is very strong. But most of Oasis's activity in Japan has been mergers and acquisition related. They recently accepted a take private deal for convenience store chain Itochu that they had originally opposed, but then accepted after the takeover price was increased. Likewise, they had a lucrative investment in Tokyo Dome, which runs entertainment stadiums in Tokyo, and which has also seen a takeover offer that was increased. But it's also interesting to note that Oasis, though they're based in Hong Kong and invest primarily in Japan, they also are active elsewhere. For example, recently benefited from the deal between Marathon Petroleum and Japan's Seven and I Holdings, in which the Japanese company has taken over Speedway's chain of convenience shops at their petrol stations, which was pushed for by another, again, by Elliott Management. They also elsewhere in the world, for example, in the UK, they have a large stake in UK fashion label, Superdry.
0: Number six is US-based sachem Head Capital Management with John.
3: So sachem's number of publicly targeted companies fell in 2020, falling to three from five in 2019. Despite that, it was still a good year for the activists, though. You have to remember that in those campaigns included a settlement with Olin for two board seats and as well Sachem's biggest bet so far in Elanco Animal Health, which was around $1.2 billion for a stake in the company. Soon after they disclosed that, they actually got three board seats after saying the company was undervalued. So amidst all that, we also had Sachin being quite vocal during a takeover efforts from Garda World for UK security firm G4S, where the activist opposed a $3 billion valuation for the UK
2: company.
0: Number five is Amber Capital, which is based in the UK. Yuri, tell us about that.
2: I think Amber Capital had one of the most productive years in its history. Uh, for the first time, they nominated a majority of the board Uh, This was at Lagardère Group, a French travel, retail and media conglomerate. Amber lost, but they succeeded in getting a strong ally in Vincent Bolloré and his Vivendi on their side. And I think this will be interesting to watch uh, if a new proxy contest is launched this year. Elsewhere, Amber has also been more assertive in Spain at Prisa. Prisa is an iconic media and education company that, among other assets, owns one of the country's most read dailies, El País. So, Ambers Joe Ogurleán proposed this year to replace Chairman Javier Monzon with himself and succeeded. Uh, And this is the first time an activist heads the board of a Spanish company.
0: And number four is US-based Value Act Capital Partners with Sayer.
4: Yeah, well, Value Act actually started 2020 in a little bit of an interesting situation. At the beginning of the year, their CEO um, and founder, Jeff Ubin, stepped down from his role as CEO and uh, to focus on Spring Fund, which was one of the first ESG-focused activist funds, you know, kind of out there publicly in a big way. About midway through January 2020, the fund reached about a billion dollars in assets under management in January 2020, which was a really bullish sign for, um, you know, the ESG investing that Value Act is kind of known for. You know, they have a pretty large portfolio that with pretty considerable influence. They played a pretty pivotal role in forcing out Citigroup CEO Michael Corbat um, into an early retirement after the Bing, um, a few performance targets. Ubin left the company entirely in June to focus on his own venture, and they saw a key executive leave the firm as well. It also took a pretty big haircut on its Rolls Royce stake, which they had been pretty bullish on for a while. So it wasn't all roses for Value Act in 2020.
0: And you also looked at Saba Capital Management, which takes the bronze medal. Can you
4: tell us what they did? it continued its long-time strategy of going long on closed-end funds trading below their net asset values and they once again they pushed you know for liquidity events alongside more traditional things like board seats and corporate governance demands you know the strategy has attracted you know some public scorn and some regulatory interest you know people saying that it's bad for mom and pop investors you know regulators saying that these aren't really what the funds are designed for that they're not really designed to be activist targets but they held firm with their strategy I mean it seemed to pay off, they averaged about a five and a half total follower return, according to our data. Their chief investment officer, Boaz Weinstein, he's kind of argued that the closed in fund structure is protected underperforming high fee funds from like the rigors of the marketplace. And the hedge fund actually did really, really well in March specifically when market turmoil really hit the US because of the coronavirus. They used a pretty interesting hedging strategy um, that's designed to navigate volatility and their flagship fund reported 33% gain through mid-March and its tail fund, which is a fund designed for um, market stress, rose uh, nearly 100% through mid-March as well. Um, So they had a really strong year.
0: So that's number 10 down to number three. Now, the silver medal goes to Elliott Management. Josh, what did they do?
5: Well, Elliott seemed less busy in 2020 than in previous years, although they still subjected 14 companies to public activist demands. That was down from 18 in 2019, which was their fifth consecutive year at the top of the activist top 10. So in some senses, that slowdown did cost them the top spot. They were also a little bit less comprehensive in their success rate compared to our winners. We've seen a softer approach from Elliot in recent years you know, they will engage in constructive discussions with companies, they will announce settlements, they will announce agreements that don't come with formal settlements. So they're willing to give companies a little bit more space. Uh, They're willing to give managers more space within certain margin or operational targets. And we saw that come together in 2020 at much larger companies than we're used to seeing that with Twitter. They had a situation where they allowed CEO Jack Dorsey to continue in place at SoftBank in Japan. They gave CEO Masayoshi Son a lot more space to reshape SoftBank in terms of the divestment of assets and share repurchases. And in some ways, he went further than they expected him to, while still retaining a good amount of control over the Vision Fund. So 2020 was a year in which they were still active across all of the different regions that we know that they like to play in. They targeted a number of U.S. companies, including technology, the real estate and utility space, which have been kind of interesting areas for them for a couple of years now. Uh, they were very active in Europe, in banking and pharmaceuticals. And they were still active in Asia, despite leaving their Hong Kong office early in 2021. We're very used to seeing Elliott Management innovate in activism. In 2020, they partnered with a private equity firm to bid for Cubic, And they also sort of dipped their toe into environmental activism by arguing that utility company Evergy could grow faster by exploring renewables. Although no one's expecting Elliot to become the leading ESG activist in the years to come.
0: And claiming gold is starboard value. Jason, what did they do to set themselves so far apart from the rest?
1: They are a dedicated activist fund. When they launch campaigns, they very, very rarely halt them. And in the words of one of their portfolio managers, they said, you know, we have a long-term belief that leadership matters. And in times of stress, leadership matters more. So they didn't back off when others did. For example, they nominated eight candidates for the board of GCP Applied Technologies. Now, uh, most companies tend to settle with Starboard given their track record. They haven't lost a proxy fight since 2012. But in this case, GCP's management decided that they thought maybe the odds were in their favor. So they fought all the way to a proxy vote and they lost. Starboard won all eight seats on the board of GCP. That's a board of 12 in total. So they took a controlling state. Four months later, the CEO, Randy Durth, was fired. You know, Starboard followed through on their uh, strategy that leadership counts. You know, once that happened, then basically every other company that went up against Starboard decided to settle. So they settled with three companies, Mednax, Box, and Convolt. And that gave them an additional 11 seats. Likewise, at Merit Medical Systems, that gave them three seats rather than risk a fight over the seven seats that Starboard was targeting. And that investment alone, which they only took in January 2020, uh, returned 60%, which is a very strong return. And that sort of short-term activist campaign and quick return is pretty standard of Starbucks. They have an uh, average uh, investment period of around a year, which is pretty short. Number two on the list, I believe, Elliot, is two years on average, as is Value Act. So they tend to go in quickly and come out quickly. But the strategy seems to work very well for them because they um, have an average follower return on its current investments of nearly 40%. You know, they started 2021 just as aggressively as they started 2020, following a very similar leadership matters philosophy. They're very smart. They pick their targets really well. They come out like swinging with a whole deck of information, very strong arguments, telling you exactly what they want. The last time they actually went to a vote was in 2014. So it was Dartmouth. They crushed them, swept the board, basically took out the company. And since then, like everybody's settled with them.
0: Also in the annual review, Eleanor O'Donnell, who looks after our activist shorts reporting, details the top 5 short sellers of 2020. So on the show today, we'd we'll be looking at the top 3 in detail. So Eleanor, before we get onto that top 3, which short sellers finished 5th and 4th?
6: So in 5th place was Muddy Waters Research. They made 10 new bets against companies last year. Probably the most notable being Inovio Pharmaceuticals and Luckin Coffee. And then in fourth place, we had Blue Walker Capital. They released three new short theses through 2020, kind of having differing results with all of them. But when I spoke to their chief investment officer, he said, you know, 2020 had the potential to be an extinction event with the government, you know, injecting stimulus into the market. They kind of identified that it was about discipline and risk management last year and just kind of getting through.
0: Okay, so then who gets the bronze medal?
6: J Capital Research came third. They had eight new short positions last year. It was a bit of a crazy year for them. They accused Ideonomics of stock promotion. They alleged there was a Ponzi scheme at GDS Holdings. But probably the biggest for them was Luckin Coffee because, you know, they backed that anonymous report that questioned the company's financial performance. And while, you know, Luckin initially denied the claims, they later revealed that they'd fabricated about million of their sales in 2019. So, you know, the share price went cratering, the company was delisted from the NASDAQ, there was a full-blown conflict between directors. So that was a really successful one for them.
0: And who's in second place with the silver medal?
6: Citroen Research came second. They had nine new campaigns last year. They were kind of mixing between technology and healthcare companies, but probably the most notable for them was Inovio Pharmaceuticals. They said that the company was basically a stock promotion because they were claiming to have found a viable candidate for a coronavirus vaccine. But when I spoke to the founder, Andrew Left, he said to me that if you saw the company, if you saw what they do, if you saw how they operate, a vaccine was never a consideration for them. So that was quite a big one for them.
0: And what else did he tell you?
6: He said they probably could have stayed short the stock and it probably would have continued to go down. They would have continued to find success with it. But just with the way the markets are right now, that company could have literally put out a positive announcement tomorrow and the stock price would have gone up again. So they decided to, you know, cover their short and come out of it.
0: And finally, then, who takes gold?
6: Kinderberg Research came first. They had a crazy 24 new campaigns last year. They didn't focus as much on the healthcare sector like they did in 2019. They kind of moved more towards consumer cyclicals and technology. They had, you know, their nationwide renowned thesis on Nikola that sent the stock down more than 60% by the end of the year. And when I spoke to their founder, Nathan Anderson, he said to me, you know, the resignation of the chairman Trevor Milton and the collapse of the deal they had with GM was just really surreal moments for the short seller. And then looking ahead to this year, you know, Anderson's really positive about his firm's future. He told me that they've got really high quality, like multi-billion dollar projects that they've got in the works that they've never had before. So they're just really staying focused. They're trying to make this a great year. And he told me to expect some fireworks. So it'll be interesting to watch them this year.
0: That's it for today's episode. Make sure you download your copy of our annual review for free by visiting the report section of our website. If you want something discussed on a future episode, please email press at and join the conversation by using the hashtag #ActivistInsightsPodcast on Twitter. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening.